What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore, the Director of Communications at the National Cannabis Industry Association. I'm happy to introduce my guest today, Justin Brandt. He's the founding partner at Bianchi and Brandt. He blends nearly a decade of business litigation experience with business development savvy, setting the course for Bianchi and Brandt's top-down, holistic support of licensed cannabis operators. In addition to overseeing the firm's litigation practice and daily operations, he excels in proactive risk management and business transaction strategy. He's been named top 40 under 40 rising stars by Marijuana Venture and top 40 under 40 by the Phoenix Business Journal, receiving notable recognition as a cannabis attorney and business leader. Bianchi and Brandt was founded in 2019 and is a full-service Arizona-based law firm specializing in the burgeoning cannabis and psychedelic industries. Partners Laura Bianchi and Justin Brandt have a combined 24 years of experience balancing the irregularities of state versus federal legalities largely unknown to other attorneys. The firm has served as strategic partners to more than 500 clients to date and not only assist with legal matters, but are also expert at the risk management, compliance, M&A expansion, real estate and human resources issues that present unique challenges in highly regulated industries. Welcome to the show today, Justin. Hello, hello and happy Tuesday. Thanks so much for having me, Bethany. You betcha. Absolutely. Let's get to know you a little bit better in addition to what I already shared in the introduction. Tell me a bit more about your background and some of the things that you did prior to moving into the cannabis space. Sure. So I was fortunate enough to really get involved in the cannabis industry early on in my legal career, really um, when I was a baby lawyer. Um, But in order to kind of backtrack a little bit and figure out how we got here, I would really say it started in in law school. And um, my mentor in law school was a professor. His name was Hugh Friedman, and he was a very prominent uh, business attorney in San Diego. 
and was really uh, a pillar within within the legal community there. Um, unfortunately, he passed away almost 10 years ago, but um, I was a recipient of the Hugh Friedman Scholarship, and it was given to students who excelled in, in business law. Uh, I took every one of his classes, and he was really somebody that I kind of modeled who I wanted to be professionally um, as a young lawyer. You know, he, he for the most part, <laughs> lawyers get a bad rap, and there's a reason for that, right? I mean, how many lawyers do we know that are just complete assholes. Um, he had a different approach to the <laughs> practice, um, you know, was really well respected by his peers and, and everybody in the legal community. Um, and so he definitely was my mentor. And, you know, we had many, many conversations about, you know, his, his career, how he got to where he was at and, you know, things like that. And, and one piece of advice that he gave me um, at some point was, uh, you know, find something that you can specialize in, and so to give you some context, that was sort of my mindset as a young lawyer coming out of law school. I wanted to find, you know, a niche practice that I could that I could specialize in and, and try to be the go to person wherever I was going to be working for that particular area. Um, and so, you know, I had been practicing for about a year and a half and an opportunity came up and it was one of those things like a friend from a friend. And let's just say that one of my good friends was a legacy operator and he had a friend who was working for another friend, uh, but essentially was, was an, an operator here in Arizona, just had got started, um, obtained a license, a vertical license in Arizona, and he needed some help with an executive employment agreement. And so I was able to assist and review that. And, you know, mind you, I was only practicing for about a year and a half at this point. And so when I say I was fortunate to have the opportunity, I mean, not many young lawyers at that at, at that stage of their early career um, were able to do something like that, or at least had those opportunities to work in a, in a relatively new industry. Um, and at the time, a relatively new program in Arizona. And the reason for that is the the client that I eventually represented had gone to two other lawyers who who basically turned him down and said we can't represent you you know because of the federal illegality of of cannabis and so fortunately for me it landed on my desk uh through one of my friends and um from that point on i really just kind of you know focused on trying to build out my practice specializing uh and representing clients in the cannabis industry and coincidentally my wife who's also a lawyer uh, was is a corp was a corporate lawyer at that time uh, represented a client that was very successful in in a, another industry and kind of handed the reins over to his his children um, and was going to be acquiring licenses in Arizona. So we both kind of found our way working into cannabis at the same time, and it was one of those situations where he said, "Well, look, you know, back in the day, this was eight years ago, you know." it wasn't like it is today. You didn't have big, big law firms with specialized cannabis practice groups. Um, and so there was a need for, for good legal counsel and particularly in this, this new industry. Um, so me getting into cannabis was more of a factor of timing than anything. And my wife mm -hmm. and I, we kind of made that decision at that time. Okay. We're going to go all, all in on this um, and haven't looked back since. Right, right. Well, thanks for sharing that story about the mentor and having a, a friendly lawyer, as it were, be be your guide and give you all that advice. 
when you made the decision to go into cannabis law, were you hesitant? Did you think about the stigma that that is permeating our industry? No. So when I first got into it, I'm, I'm one of those people where I feel like I have to I have to learn everything I can, right? And you know, I mean, I was familiar obviously with cannabis, um, but I, I hadn't. I didn't have the the depth of understanding um, that I did when I first started representing clients in the industry. So once I had that first client, it kind of snowballed from there. And I just took a deep dive into the history of cannabis, you know, the war on drugs. And the more I educated myself, the more I realized how kind of insane it was that, that cannabis was being treated the way it was. And mm-hmm. despite, you know, from, from what I could tell, and I think from, but the majority of people could tell there's definitely medical benefits to cannabis um, mm-hmm. and, you know, researching it and learning about how it was scheduled and it being a schedule one um, substance and what that meant. I, I didn't have a, I didn't appreciate, I guess, is what I'm trying to say um, all the ins and outs until I really dove into it and, and educated myself. Sure. Sure. I think a lot of people feel that way when they go, take that deep dive, so to speak, so we have about a minute before our next, uh, our first commercial break here. What is new, fresh, and exciting with your firm this year in 2023? So we are a, a full business and litigation law firm. Um, we have been growing year after year uh, for the last three years and are expanding a lot of our practice into uh, other states. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're a full service law firm, but we're very much not a traditional law firm in the sense that we wear many hats with our clients. A lot of our clients are um, long-term clients have been in the cannabis, cannabis industry for, for quite some time. Um, you know, 95% of what we do uh, or 95% of our clients are somehow in the cannabis industry or hemp industry. Um, and so helping them kind of grow and expand their operations has been really a primary focus over the last 12 or 18 months. Great. Great. Thanks for that update. So let's go ahead and take that first commercial break, and then we will come right back and chat more with Justin Brandt of Bianchi Brandt. Stay tuned. We will be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice on Cannabis Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Moore with NCIA, and we're chatting with Justin Brandt of Bianchi and Brandt. So one of the exciting things that NCIA did recently was head back to Washington, D.C. for lobby days. And we were pushing our two big reform topics that we have been pushing for a long while, banking and taxes. Of course, the Safe Banking Act has passed through the House several times, and we're pushing for the Senate to take this up and push it past the finish line. What are your thoughts, Justin, on this progress, the Safe Banking Act, has been making its way all around Capitol Hill. Well, you know, progress is progress, right? Even if even if it means <laughs> <laughs> little steps or you're taking two steps forward and one step back, I think progress is always a good thing for the most part. 
Uh, you know, I think the rea reality of the situation is that controversial issues tend to have uh, a number of competing interests. And that means that any sort of policy reform on those issues or topics generally take time. Um, despite, you know, the, the overall acceptance, I think, of, of cannabis as a whole across the country, I think it, it's still a you know, controversial issue for a lot of people. Um, that said, the fact that safe that the Safe Baking Act hasn't passed, um, I think, is a is a good example of, you know, why common sense isn't always common in politics and government. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I say that jokingly, but for for the most part, the entire industry wants this, and that includes the financial institutions and banks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most of them have not been willing to open their doors to cannabis and servicing cannabis related businesses. Uh, I saw a stat the other day that estimated 11% of all U.S. banks and 4% of all credit unions have actually um, engaged in servicing or providing financial services to cannabis-related businesses. Mm. And so, you know, if, if you take a step back, that's those are low numbers, right? Yes. And we're talking about a multi-billion-dollar industry. And there's that means there's a business incentive for these financial institutions. Um, who who want to you know provide these services but can't because there's no safe harbor for them, um, and I think it's important to note that you know this is a lot bigger than just plant touching businesses. I think a lot of times when people think of safe banking and who it impacts, they think of you know cannabis operators that are that are plant touching businesses, so to speak. Um, but it also, you know, affects a lot of these ancillary businesses that derive income from state legal cannabis. And that mm -hmm. includes, you know, my firm, you know, law firms, accounting firms, basically any professional service that provides any sort of assistance to a cannabis related business. Um, and, you know, I know from experience, having had my, my own personal bank accounts shut down um, and Oof. our law, yeah, and our law firms uh, bank accounts uh, were shut down both by big banks. Um, so, and, and my point is this goes beyond just plant touching. Um, and, and, you know, imp it impacts employees that also work for these cannabis related businesses who, you know, are contributing to society who are paying taxes, but, you know, are having issues, for example, going and get a mortgage to buy a, buy a house because the income that, that's, that, that, that they're derived comes from a cannabis related business. And so something like that just seems very, very unreasonable to me, but um, kind of fast forwarding coming full circle, I would say, you know, again, progress is progress. I I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I think this go around, you know, I mm -hmm. think the, the last seven times that it's failed um, in the Senate, I mean, we've gone through the house, um, you know, it, it, what's different, I guess this time around. Right. And I think, you know, prior, prior versions of safe banking all had bipartisan support for the most part. Um, but, but what's different is this time, um, this is actually the first time that both chambers of Congress are going to be taking up safe banking simultaneously. Yeah. And so I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, again, there's, there's, really bipartisan consensus on moving things forward in the Senate and the Senate banking committee towards a markup. Um, and, and kind of the buzz around the Hill is that that's expected to happen sometime this month. Um, mm -hmm. with, with, you know, the expectation that the Senate will get to vote on safe banking this year. 
um, hopefully sooner than later. Hopefully that Yeah. happens this summer. Oh, yeah, we need that immediately. Absolutely. And Right. interesting, your comment about competing interests being a part of how the sausage is made in D.C., you know, it would be very interesting to understand more about what's going on behind the scenes there. You know, sometimes we talk about this incremental legislation like safe banking and 280E and comprehensive legislation, larger, broader legalization. What are your thoughts about these two different paths for the cannabis industry of the broader comprehensive reform versus fixing these smaller problems as we go? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I kind of tend to lean on the side of take what you can get. You know, something is is generally better than nothing. Um, I think incremental legislation is a good thing, like uh, the Safe Banking Act. I mean, that's one of the top two challenges that this industry faces right now, um, the other being taxes. You know, comprehensive uh, legislation, on the other hand, at least at the federal level, particularly in this sort of divisive political climate that we're in, seems a bit unrealistic to me. Um, I, I think that state policy reform is the more strategic path towards uh, federal legalization or, or what I would call comprehensive legislation. Um, and, and that's the simple fact that the more the more representatives in Congress that come from states that have legalized cannabis, uh, the greater chance there is for them to address this cannabis policy gap that we're, we're having right now. Yeah, I mean, just by the numbers, exactly right. The the massive re representation in Congress would it continues to to push us past the line. It's just, you know, at that D.C. congressional pace, uh, glacial. Exactly. I think they describe it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. um, so speaking of states, let's talk about these newer states coming online, emerging markets. Um, my home state, Maryland, um, Minnesota, Missouri. bringing us to 23 adult use cannabis states, I believe. What advice would you have for these new cannabis entrepreneurs and operators in these markets? Uh, call somebody like me. <laughs> no, uh, you know, you, you really have to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. Um, and, and that encompasses so many different things. Um, but kind of a threshold issue that we always address with um, folks that are trying to get into this industry uh, really stems from uh, understanding and making sure you have relationships and you understand the regulations at the local level and with local government. And the reason why that's so important, um, any sort of cannabis use, whether it's a medical or recreational program, usually has some component, um, some sort of zoning component. And what I mean by that, there's limitations on, on use of property, right? And, and usually programs delegate that sort of authority within reason and certain limitations to local government. Um, and we've seen situations before where Uh, people are trying to get in the industry. Um, maybe they don't have any prior experience in the cannabis industry. Um, you know, they spend a lot of money maybe acquiring a property, but haven't necessarily really done their homework or due diligence on that property. Um, and then come to find out when they try to go and get everything approved at, at the state level or local level that their, their property isn't zoned properly. Or, um, you know, there's some sort of circumstance with whatever zoning ordinance is applicable that would prevent them from 
you know, the intended use of a dispensary cultivation facility, whatever the particular circumstances are. Um, so it's important uh, as a threshold issue to really have a solid understanding of any sort of applicable local regulations for whatever it is you're trying to do, um, especially those that relate to any sort of zoning or land use. Yeah, a lot of what you said about building those relationships with state, local government, even I've heard one NCIA member go so far as to say, go down to the fire station, introduce yourself to the chief and with the police station, the same thing, like really getting out into the community and getting in front of it, getting in front of the stigma, maybe. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to say it. Um, and, and all those things I think are, are very true. Um, again, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And uh, the more that people are educated um, about, you know, actually what's going on and, and sort of having that relationship, face-to-face relationship, um, with your regulators or the fire department, the police department. I mean, a lot of our clients, you know, we make those connections with them and we'll bring in the police department, whatever local law enforcement is in the community, tour the facility so th- they, they have a better understanding of, you know, who that operator is. Because uh, operators don't want to be where they're not wanted. I think that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, We're almost about to take our second commercial break, uh, and then we'll come back from the break. And I want to ask you a question about uh, some some trends in the cannabis industry that you might be seeing. But before this break, uh, as in the last episode as well, these are my final one, two, three episodes here at NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice as the host. And I just want to thank all of our listeners for listening to the show for six and a half years and more than 320 episodes, I think, was last I counted. So I'm just so grateful and honored to have been able to speak with so many talented, bright individuals who are passionate about this industry on this show. So thanks again, everyone, for tuning in. So let's go ahead and take that last commercial break and then come back and finish up our conversation with Justin Brandt of Bianchi and Brandt. We'll be right back. NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice will return once we give a voice to our sponsors. All right, we're back on NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice podcast, chatting with Justin Brandt from Bianchi and Brandt. I really appreciate you jumping on the show today as we're in our last couple episodes and really just bringing home the fundamentals of what our industry is facing with the major challenges uh, from before you even get your license to then attempting to operate in some kind of smooth way. So even though there's a lot of new states um, coming online, and of course, this is attracting new companies that are forming, which is great. We want to see more small businesses forming here in the United States. There's still somehow a contraction happening in our industry. There are mergers and so on, which is above my pay grade, of course, but that's why you're on the show. Can you tell me a bit more about how that looks and what we should know about those trends in the cannabis industry. Absolutely. Um, yeah, M&A has been changing um, pretty consistently. Well, I guess like anything in the cannabis industry, right? You, you know, maybe one way one month and then it's a completely different way the next month. 
that seems just to be a, a common characteristic of of bar industry. Um, but uh, with current, you know, economic climate, with the current economic climate, and and really the capital markets being kind of uh, you know shit show over the last twelve years, we're seeing operators become more disciplined and uh, selective when evaluating these opportunities for strategic expansion. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of what we're seeing is being driven by some of these pricing pressures, which have forced operators to remain, you know, hyper-focused on states that provide the best opportunities for, uh, what I would call consistent, healthy margins. Um, and you know, if what we're kind of seeing, um, as far as the deals that we're involved in, you know, let's look at, look at some of these large MSOs. Um, that have been exiting these states entirely. Um, that's a bit unusual, uh, but we're seeing a lot of mm-hmm. uh, operators expand, um, not necessarily into new markets, but they're expanding within existing markets uh, where they maybe already have operations, um, you know, and, and are maybe trying to pick up you know, a couple of additional retail locations, things like that. Um, you know, I think we're likely going to see. A, a bit of an uptick in in some of these significant opportunities for M and A over over the next twelve months, um, as many other operators are looking for an exit. Um, I think there's still a lot of opportunity in states that have recently legalized cannabis, um, and and what I mean by that for existing operators, what we're seeing is a, a more joint ventures. And, and sort of this need for an operational partner. So a new state has a new program and maybe somebody is awarded a license, but again, they don't necessarily have um, any sort of background or expertise um, operating whatever it is, if it's a dispensary cultivation, processing, manufacturing. And so what, what we've been able to do is bring in uh, these operational partners and it's a win-win, right? You have the license holder who needs that experience and expertise, wants to learn from the mistakes that an operator has already uh, experienced over the years. And um, it, it's less risky for the operational partner because they're not spending you know, tons of uh, capital up front to either acquire a license or, or, or maybe they haven't uh, successfully obtained a license through application, but it still allows them to expand into a new market and that builds goodwill for their brand um, as well. So there's a lot of positives. You know, we're, we're, we've kind of seen this slowdown um, of these outright deals of, of, of acquisitions um, of licenses. And we're seeing, you know, what I, what I describe as more of a joint venture structure. Interesting. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing those insights about uh, what we might be seeing over the next few months or year or so here in the really fast-paced industry. It's, uh, you know, whipping around some curvy roads here for sure. Well, we have run out of time for this episode and thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for your membership with the National Cannabis Industry Association as well. Um, any final words and where our listeners can find out more about you and your company? Yep. I mean, you can find us online, Bianchi, BianchiBrandt.com. Uh, we're on Instagram, Bianchi Brandt, uh, and LinkedIn. Um, and be- before I leave, just want to say thank you so much, Bethany, for everything you've done uh, for this podcast over the years and uh, for NCIA. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm going to miss working with all of our members, but um, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing all the cannabis industry navigate through all these challenges and get on the other side of of all this. So thanks again. And thank you to all of our listeners. We'll have one more episode with me hosting coming up next week. Thanks for tuning in to NCIA's Cannabis Industry Voice. Until next time. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.